Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with you and yours. I'm recording this over the holiday weekend. A couple things I want to share with you as I appreciate everyone that tunes into the podcast. First, I have a number of interviews lined up. It will not turn into just the Isaiah Show. I've had a reschedule a number of different recordings due to some family issues, and then getting people rebooked can be tough. Second, I will start in January having sponsors for the show again. I thought long and hard about this. I know I shared that before. Um, but I spend probably a little over $5,000 annually to produce the show. And instead of continuing to cover those costs, I've been encouraged by several of you who listen to the show to take, hey, you should monetize this. There's good things. So I'm going to try that. And while I love the idea of what I've seen from the podcasting 2.0 options where it can be totally listener supported and fund the show via streaming apps where content creators actually earn Satoshis or fractional amounts of Bitcoin, um, where you could pay like, you know, a dollar, a dollar fifty per episode, um, and then maybe tip if there's something you really liked. I love that idea. I just don't think that anyone is there yet. Even the shows that I really love and enjoy that are dedicated to the Bitcoin space still struggle to make that work. And um, I have reached out to companies that I support in the veterinary space that I think do really good work and I want to support them and they're willing to support me. So you'll see that coming in the Facebook group. If you aren't uh, a member, one of the other things I want to do in there was share and be transparent with all the stats in the show, income versus expenses, and like truly try to lay this out to show you, hey, from a a side hustle, right? Because this isn't my day job. This is something I love doing, but I do want to try to make this into something that is a little bit more formalized. And with that, I'm happy to share it. So I'm going to open source it, outsource it, let people see what it looks like and and share that. And I will let you know any of the funds that I'm going to take out of that that are not covered in the expenses of the show, I'm going to save in Bitcoin, which is a shocker to no one that listens to this show. And um, yeah, we'll track that as well as far as what those savings turn into. So there's some exciting things going on internally at the podcast um, today. Right now, it's myself and an editor I actually found via Upwork who's in Turkey. Thanks, Ali. I appreciate you so much. Um, but today's episode is one where I want to take and, and tackle a recent post by the White Coat Investor. He made it abundantly clear that I needed to do this. I'm often asked about Bitcoin since I'm vocal and outspoken about it. There are criticisms and worries that a lot of people have, and I wanted to dissect a recent piece that he published in, I provided some rebuttals and some factual evidence for the claims that he made. I will tell you it's 100% harder to refute BS, um, which is a major problem in today's world of content, not just with this article specifically, but this is an area that I cannot allow basically his post, which was garbage, to be published and not cross-examined because he has a huge reach, right? And I think it's intellectually dishonest. And that maybe that's just a personal thing. I don't stand for that. It drives me nuts. So for me, when I've reached out to him, um, I didn't really get any sort of response. So I took it on myself to do a little tweet thread and I want to dive a little deeper in the podcast. I really don't want to drive more traffic to his really terrible take because again, he makes all his money on ads and selling stuff to you all. Um, but I will publish it in the show notes as well. It's terrible. So well, you can uh, take the points that I'm going to bring up and uh, I'm going to pull them directly from the piece and then we'll dissect it. I wrote directly to him, asked him to discuss it. He doubled down on his bad take. So that's why I have no problem digging here and really, um, you know, putting his feet to the fire. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to continue to be wrong when presented with new evidence. And again, factually just proving your viewpoint, like this sign of intelligence has changed your mind when presented with new um, information. And I view it as intellectually dishonest. I've lost a ton of respect for him and his work. I would consider him as a lot of people too smart by half, right? Really smart person. Um, thinks they're smarter than they are. So I've done a lot of, um, you know, prior work and talking about, you know, Bitcoin and you can listen to those podcasts. I'm not going to rehash a lot of that content because I'm hoping that you've already listened to it. But if you haven't, go back, listen to some of those episodes on here because I I walk through it. 
Also, if you decide, hey, I do want to start saving in Bitcoin, don't use Coinbase. Please don't use Coinbase. It is a shitcoin casino, which means it's going to distract you. And a lot of what the white coat investor is, is talking about all these other altcoins, which are not what you need to focus on. It is Bitcoin. I'd recommend Swan Bitcoin. It's far cheaper. It's Bitcoin only. You can set up a re, um, reoccurring savings plan, which is the way that I talk about, not necessarily investing, but savings. So if you go to swanbitcoin.com backslash ID financial, $10 free when you sign up. I'll include that in the show notes as well. He uh, starts his article with an opinionated take that he struggles to find any footing throughout his poorly done piece. He cites, however, one thing I cannot understand is why the market, all the people speculating in cryptocurrency, does not yet recognize there's no way that Bitcoin is going to be the winner of this technological race. So let's get into his points, outline them, and offer factual rebuttals that will disprove each and every one of them. I will also include sources, which he fails to do throughout his piece. So if you're going to make points, you need to back those up with facts. He does not do that. It is all just an opinion piece that is not well-researched. So my goal is to arm you with information resources to ensure as um, more informed people, when you hear uninformed people like Dr. Dale or Dahl, um, you can see that they're spouting nonsense and detect that they are full of BS. So he continues by market capitalization, which is just kind of the total worth. Bitcoin is currently way ahead. However, this is simply due to its early start and thus its brand recognition. I don't discredit that, so that I see is somewhat factual. It was the first, and it does have brand recognition. This is the part that I struggle with. You do not need to know very much about cryptocurrency to realize that this will not last. In fact, it cannot last. Bitcoin literally cannot be the world's most useful currency long-term. It lacks too much function. It uses too much energy, and it is too slow, and it is too unstable. So those are all his points. So for those at home keeping track, it is you know old boomer tech. We'll use it as that. It doesn't offer enough. It uses slash wastes energy. Its transactions are too slow and it's unstable. So let's start with the uh, first part about lacking functionality. Bitcoin has plenty of function and is the biggest thing to understand with Bitcoin is at its core, Bitcoin is decentralized, which means there's no single point of failure. It is robust and resilient. It is for the people, by the people. It wasn't started with VC money or as a founder, like most, almost all crypto projects are. Most alternative coins have made major trade-offs in decentralization. They are dinos, decentralized in name only. You and I know that dinos go extinct. Many projects like Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, Litecoin, for example, are run on large centralized servers, which introduce a major risk or single point of failure. Ethereum, for example, has a majority of its servers running on AWS. It's not hard to be build. It's really hard to build decentralized finance or DeFi when Amazon can turn off your network with a flick of a switch or a call from a government official. So how is that decentralized? Solana, for example, has gotten a lot of attention as it skyrocketed this past year. It had a 17-hour outage and is mainly backed by Silicon Valley VCs who have made a killing in it. That is not decentralized. That is not decentralized. Ethereum had a DAO hack. So a decentralized autonomous organization is a DAO. In 2006, where they changed the network rules to roll back a transaction where a hacker had stolen or had access to $500 million, or sorry, $50 million worth of ETH and caused a hard fork, which created Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. If you are truly decentralized, you cannot change the rules of a system due to a mistake in the code. NFTs are getting a lot of buzz as well. One main risk here is the, what blockchain are you going to own it on? Where is this art held? Most crypto projects don't last. And if I get art and I own it, and in five years that chain is no longer around, where is my digital art actually stored? So it's really, really important that I'm not saying that there, you cannot make money in other altcoins. What I am saying is there is a massive opportunity to change money for the first time in 50 years, and people would rather speculate on VC-backed garbage, JPEGs, when they don't really understand the moment of history that we're at. 
it's not that the other things can't have value or utility. I do think that those things will come, but a lot of that stuff is technology. And what they're all competing on is monetary properties because they're holding value. If you compete on monetary properties, Bitcoin is the only one that makes sense as money. The other ones are technology. So you can have really good technology, but you do not need them to have monetary properties. This is where most people struggle to like get it. Yes, those things can exist, but they are not money, but they are competing to be money. Even if they aren't saying that, they are. So Bitcoin is the only true decentralized option. For $300, you can run a full node that runs the full Bitcoin core code and verify all transactions and the amount of Bitcoin on the network. You, for a fact, cannot do this at home with anything else. It's really, really important. The other thing that the white coat investor mentions is brand recognition at Head Start. The idea that network effects is one that is massive. Any technology that's hit $100 billion and is in a dominant position and there's no historical example of that failing. Examples, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Bitcoin is that only for money. It is the exact same thing playing out that you've seen with the internet adoption. If you look at Bitcoin, its adoption is looking like internet 1996, 1997. Same trajectory of user growth and where it's at. The adoption of any technology is one that you see where you have innovators, early adopters, then there's this big chasm. Once that's broken, you see massive mainstream adoption. I believe in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see the chasm bridge to the mainstream as more athletes take pay in Bitcoin, countries adopt as legal tender, and we will all agree, hey, this is money. Money is a social construct and people will demand it, desire it. And that's when you see early majority adoption, then late majority, and then laggards. Laggards are when your grandma got on Facebook. We are a bit away from your grandma giving you Bitcoin for Christmas unless you have literally the coolest grandma around. So to wrap this up a little bit here and understand that what Bitcoin does, it does really well and it's robust. And it's not taking the break it, move fast VC style that most crypto projects have done. You don't want that with money. You want trust in that. And Bitcoin has done exactly what it said it's going to do since its inception in 2009. You want consistency. You want sound upgrades. It is the only decentralized option for you. But you might be asking, is it stuck and old in the past? No. The largest upgrade in the last four years happened within the last month on Bitcoin called Taproot. I'm not the technical expert, but I will link to a great primer on Taproot. What Taproot accomplishes is upgrades to new, more efficient, flexible, and private ways of transferring Bitcoin. So adding cheaper and more private payments is massive. These changes for Bitcoin take time and consensus to happen. They are not delivered from the top from a founder or a large holder. They are proposed, debated, discussed, and then allowed to vote by the network on adoption by running the code that they choose. Taproot was widely adopted, but even if you didn't like the code, it's backwards compatible, which is critical unlike the hard fork C, Ethereum, and Ethereum Classic. The time in Bitcoin's history when it was contentious and there was a major change was when there was a desire by big money and power players in the space to increase the block size for transactions. I mentioned earlier that you could verify and run code from your home. If the block size increased, it would have forced more centralized, a more centralized model see other altcoins and likely put the power of the network in fewer and fewer hands. It failed miserably, and that's what Bitcoin Cash became. If you have looked at Bitcoin Cash since 2017, it's lost about 99% of its value versus Bitcoin. So there's a really great book that I actually just got as a gift, and it is called The Block Size Wars. It goes into all this depth in the history of that. But um, the defense of the network in saying, hey, these are the rules and we're going to defend those, that is exactly what it has been since inception. That's what you want. You want upgrades, right? Continuing to improve, but you don't want to change everything. Ethereum has been decentralized apps. 
um, world supercomputer. It was going to be, you know, a better way than VC funding. It was NFT. It's all these things. It's always changing. The marketing is always changing on what it is. And that is a really, really big issue. The other thing the white coat investor mentions is Ethereum and smart contracts. Not possible without smart contracts. But guess what? Cryptocurrency doesn't have smart contracts. That's right, Bitcoin. The eventual winner is definitely going to be compatible with smart contracts. Thus, it cannot be Bitcoin. That is false and factually incorrect. Did you know that Bitcoin has smart contracts as well through discrete law contracts or DLCs? Well, Dr. Dale did not know that, and now you do. It allows you for being able to bet on an event like an election or a football game, and then you will go out to trusted oracles, let's say ESPN, Yahoo Sports, or something else like, I want to bet on who wins the Super Bowl. Those would be your oracles, and then when they deliver the results, each better would know, and the results are settled instantly, which is awesome. For those that are maybe more financial savvy, it actually allows for an entire derivative or options market to be built on Bitcoin. Option market, derivative markets are massive in financial services. So this allows you to do things like covered calls, puts, and all these other different things on Bitcoin itself, which is pretty cool to say. Um, and also Bitcoin scales in layers. That's one thing that actually, if you look at Ethereum, they try to do everything on the main um, layer. And what's happened is there's crazy amounts of fees that are getting built up and it's not working well. And so they're like, hey, maybe we need to start scaling. Huh, that's funny because that's exactly what Bitcoin started with. It said, hey, we're going to scale because you can't do this all in one layer. So the cool thing with Bitcoin is that it does scale in layers and DLCs are on the third layer. So the second layer, and we'll cover that uh, down the road because it's something else that Dr. Dale fails to see and understand and mention, is called Lightning, which is on layer two and three. And then DLCs um, are on two and three as well. So to say Bitcoin is a boomer coin or uh, not showing any growth or changes is actually just showing that there's a lot of um, lack of education of the space. So to wrap up, wrap up the old technology argument. So to wrap up the old technology argument, Bitcoin is slower to evolve, sure, but what it does is it takes leaps knowing what's going to happen versus implementing new ideas and then having massive issues and long-term impacts that should have been more thoroughly thought through. The easiest analogy I can give is most altcoins are built on a foundation of sand, trying to hurry up and create value, cash out before the waves come crashing in. Bitcoin, they hiked up from the beach, found a solid rock foundation to build the next world's monetary system on one that's built on trustless, open, and a free system that allows equal opportunity for everyone, which is what has been needed for years and years. And that's been kind of the holy grail of, of um, cryptocurrencies, right? Is something that can actually accomplish that, which is Bitcoin. The next is the energy con uh, comment. It currently consumes over 80 terawatt hours every year. Now, I can't conceptualize a terawatt hour any more than you can, but if you can compare Bitcoin to countries, it comes in ahead of Austria right now. So despite the fact that almost no one uses Bitcoin for anything other than speculation, it is already consuming more energy than, than entire first world countries. First, we'll come back to this comment of, so despite the fact that no one uses Bitcoin for anything other than speculation in a minute, that's also 100% false and unfounded, but we'll cover that in a little bit. Let's stay on energy. So there's an article published in 2017 that had the title, Bitcoin Mining on Track to Consume All of the World's Energy by 2020. These BS headlines with clickbait titles are never held accountable. Guess what? It's 2021 and Bitcoin usage is fine. In fact, since the world uses about 170,000 terawatt hours of energy per year, that means the entire Bitcoin network at its peak estimated consumption level uses about 0.1% of the world's energy consumption. That's for a network with 100 million estimated users, which is from Lynn Alden's wonderful article, Bitcoin's energy usage isn't a problem and here's why. It's also linked in the show notes. We produce an abundance of energy today. The biggest challenge is getting it to where we need. We lose a lot of power in transit from the source to consumption. That's a bigger issue that the white coat investor fails to dig into. He takes a bad narrative and runs with it. 
Actually, about 15 times the usage of Bitcoin energy is lost in transit, according to the World Bank data. So 15 times what Bitcoin produces, we just lose every single year because we don't have efficient ways to move energy. Also, Bitcoin still uses less energy than Christmas lights annually. So that's a fun holiday party trivia nugget you can use as well if someone brings that up. Bitcoin's energy usage is incentivized to find waste and or cheap electricity as Bitcoin mining industry, the Bitcoin mining industry is free and open and they're paid in Bitcoin. Their biggest input in their business is the electricity cost. So the competitive pressures are on them to find renewables, wasted and cheap energy. So it's not like they're going to take the energy that you need to power your home. That's what people don't understand. It's not stealing. It is just using the energy that's already being wasted. And there's plenty of energy being like created out there. We're wasting so much already. So the white coat investor fails to then talk about what is the current system using. If, if, when Bitcoin is the global reserve currency, which again, I think it will be, wouldn't we want to stack it up against the US dollar and maybe gold production? When looking at greenhouse gas emissions, the current banking system emits about um, 1.4 million tons of CO2, gold mining about 200 million, Bitcoin less than 75 million. This is according to an ARK investment re report that will be included as well. So again, current banking system, significantly worse than what Bitcoin is. And that's what should be compared against. Also, gold mining is really destructive to the environment. Bitcoin, not. Bitcoin is actually likely to usher in cleaner and more efficient energy grids. With real-world data, we demonstrated that Bitcoin mining could encourage investment in solar systems, solar grids, plus batteries, enabling renewables to generate a higher percentage of grid power with potential, potentially no change in the cost of electricity. Um, that's from ARK and Square Crypto. That was a joint paper. And again, it's going to be linked in the... Um, show notes and it's a great idea and a great way of showing and demonstrating how renewables clean energy all that stuff bitcoin mining actually allows it to happen bitcoin miners are flexible load options so they can potentially help solve much of the intermittency and congestion problems allowing grids to deploy sustainable renewable energy because they are a buyer of last resort also another link there's a great youtube video made by swan bitcoin called green machines which it details how environmentally friendly Bitcoin mining is, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. Lastly, think of energy as the biggest reason we live the lives of luxury that we have versus our predecessors. Energy has allowed us to significantly grow the higher quality standard of living that you know our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents could only dream of. And so energy consumption is part of that. So consuming energy is not a negative thing. And that's what I think is really difficult with a lot of the ESG, green energy, all these things. It's like energy consumption is bad, but in actuality energy consumption is not bad it's just being thoughtful with the way that we consume energy is something that is really important and that nuance um, needs to be um, delineated alex gladstein of the human rights foundation has written uh, how bitcoin mining can be a catalyst for massive improvements in third world countries traditionally citizens without electricity cut down trees for charcoal to cook their meals releasing a significant amount of carbon into the atmosphere Burning biofuels for cooking and heating is also a leading cause of indoor air pollution worldwide, leading to 1.6 million deaths per year, half of which are children under five. But if Bitcoin mining could be a bridge to help subsidize and encourage more hydropower to come online, it could be a worthy project for humanitarians to target to help stop deforestation, protecting the local environment, and empowering the people. According to the International Food Policy Institute, the Congo has the potential to become the breadbasket of the entire African continent. So this was in a piece that he wrote talking about how building out energy infrastructure in Africa could actually um, help support Bitcoin mining and give the ability for those um, places to have investment, but also be able to create money so that they can build better um, 
um, cities and better infrastructure and actually pay for all these things to have better energy because no one wants to seemingly invest in these areas to put money to work to help bring these people out of poverty. And he continues, but in the future where Bitcoin is the reserve currency, mining from renewable sources could help empower any nation to directly earn the future-based money of the world. And this could provide a massive incentive to continue expansion and innovation in renewable energy systems. The white coat investors quote, at any rate, Bitcoin can't win because we don't have enough energy on the planet for it to win, is false and factually inaccurate. I think we can lay the energy usage conversation as a big giant dud. There is no basis to the claims that are being made. Energy usage helps to secure the network, and the network is vital to ushering in renewables as it can be an energy buyer of last resort, allowing new energy projects to come online and then move the energy when it is needed. They're not going to consume the energy that you need to heat your home, right? It can be there to say, hey, we can build this nuclear power plant in this area. And then as the population grows and needs it, the Bitcoin mining can then move to somewhere else because it can consume that excess energy. Again, the cool thing is Bitcoin mining can go somewhere super remote, use that energy that's going to be wasted if not, and then move on from there. So it's really, really important to uh, understand the energy thing. And Bitcoin is completely nonsensical when people say that Bitcoin uses too much energy. It's not true. Next, he moves into another awful take. What's another big problem that keeps anyone from actually using Bitcoin day to day? The volatility. You can't just use a currency that is worth a third or 50% less than it was a few months earlier. It's too volatile. False and factually incorrect. There are four stages of something as it becomes money and a unit of account. So as a unit of account for us today, it's US dollars. We use that as our measuring stick when we look at buying or selling stuff. So the four stages are collectibles, store of value, medium exchange, and unit of account. I will admit um, very few people are using Bitcoin as a unit of account today. I'm close and I'm inching ever closer day after day. And the reason is the M2 money supply, which I've talked about um, several times in this podcast, is the amount of dollars in circulation. And that has grown since 2011 um, through 2019 at 7% annualized. And it's been 18% annualized since 2020. The line of the money growth of M2 looks like your favorite meme stock. It's up to the right bending and it just needs a rocket emoji next to it that is scary as hell right and so if my unit of account is dollars like it would be in the s p 500 or cash in the bank my actual returns are significantly less due to the flood of new money creation this is not going to stop if i held cash i've lost a tremendous amount of purchasing power over the last 10 years now to be clear monetary inflation is one way to measuring purchasing power and inflation there's cpi there's asset inflation. There's these different things. Again, go back to the inflation episode that I recorded. I'll have peers and try to be as intellectually honest as possible, which again is one of my big issues with the White Coat Investor article is that he's not intellectually honest. I have peers that will um, that I respect that will claim what I just said is incorrect. I disagree because it has led for homes, cars, groceries, et cetera, all to be significantly higher because of the growth of the M2 money supply. There's a really good chart and I don't know how to share it necessarily in the show notes that shows the consumer price index, um, which is the measure of inflation from the federal government and the M2 money supply of different nations. In the United States, M2 money supply since December of 2019 is up about 35%. And you see it's the highest of any other nation that is compared and the inflation amount is the highest. So those two things do have correlation and there is causation. So to me, it's really, really important. Another really easy example, we all just came through Thanksgiving, right? So we're listening to this after Thanksgiving. When measured in dollars, Thanksgiving meal cost you an additional 14% this year. If you measured it in Bitcoin and that was your unit of account, it's down 63%. 
So back to the white coat investors point, why the hell would anyone hold Bitcoin as a unit of account today? Well, the US dollars are losing value at a rapid rate. 90% of all US dollars have lost their value since 1950. You're continuing to lose your purchasing power holding dollars. I think intelligent people that truly understand money are the ones holding Bitcoin as a unit of account, or at a minimum are starting to save for it to make sure that their future consumption needs are met. So last example, I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. Median home price priced in Bitcoin. 2013 was 1,000 Bitcoin, 2016, 500 Bitcoin, 2019, 65 Bitcoin, 2021, 8 Bitcoin. So life gets cheaper as you save for the things that you need. Bitcoin will become less and less volatile as the network grows. For most, it's a long-term savings right now, you know, including yours truly. But I am starting to consider it more as maybe something that quarterly or monthly, we're just going to start to consume and use more. Yes, there are tax ramifications. Yes, there are things you need to understand, and that's diving too much into the weeds there. And I think I've covered that in a previous podcast, but other areas we can get into here also thinking about is, you know, acquiring Bitcoin, using it as collateral for lifestyle or other investments. You're holding good money, borrowing and bad money. Um, there's an arbitrage opportunity there. It's too in-depth for the podcast. There's a lot of details that need to be considered. Don't do anything like this if you don't truly understand the risk taking place, but it is absolutely something to look into, to consider. And yes, it is something that I'm actively looking into and have done. So you want good money, you will borrow bad money. And then when you see the bad money be worth less and less, you're paying back bad money and holding good money. Uh, it works actually pretty well, as long as you don't do it with too much um, too much leverage, right? Like if you, if you don't borrow too much and you're doing it responsibly. Um, so let's move on to the, so despite the fact that almost no one uses Bitcoin for anything other than speculation, this was something I said, hey, put a pin in it, we'll come back to it. Um, this is wrong, again, factually incorrect, false. Um, plenty of people in El Salvador where Bitcoin is legal tender use it daily. 70% of the country was unbanked and it is now growing 3% per week downloading the Bitcoin wallet app from the government there. And that's only that app. Again, it's open that anyone else can use it because it's an open monetary system. So anyone can use any of the other wallets available, but the, the government wallet gives them a little bit of free money as well. So most people have been starting to use that. Remittance in El Salvador or anywhere around the globe is so pricey due to currency exchange. Many families are feeding middlemen millions of dollars for the privilege to send money back to loved ones. Bitcoin solves this. El Salvador alone will save close to $400 million per year on the $6 billion market of remittance payments coming mainly from the United States. And that's a country of 6.5 million people. Think about all the other people around the world that send money back home. Case in point in the United States, I know lots of people that send money back home that are first generation here to support families. More money back to their families is huge. That solves a lot of issues. And there's no need to pay more people. So yes, Dr. Dale, Dahl, I always say his name wrong. Um, there are people using it for other than speculation. Um, that might be a shocker. Businesses can use Bitcoin, the network, right? So there's the asset, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, the network. Think of the network, um, which is allowing the payments to be um, utilized. And you can use it to send payments of US dollar to US dollar, US dollar to euros. And you're using the Bitcoin rails and it just gets converted. And it's a beautiful thing. And um, you can use this for payments for services rendered without the need of Square, Venmo, PayPal, or merchant services. I see a lot of money spent by veterinary clinics on this. And I personally have been here and working on a solution to use the Bitcoin network to collect client uh, fees so that we don't have to pay, you know, those extra 3% plus, you know, 30 cents per transaction, all that other BS. That extra margin or revenue for a small business can be vastly improving the health long term. Think of your favorite local restaurant or coffee shop, an extra three to 5% of total revenue to the bottom lines. Would that help? Absolutely. So it is not a speculative thing. 
I think that's what's so hard to get across to people. Yes, there are people that use it as pure speculation that don't understand it. But if you really truly understand what Bitcoin is, it's not speculation. Okay, moving on to what I felt was maybe the laziest section of his whole argument. Bitcoin is also pretty slow. Just about everything on the list above is faster than Bitcoin. One of the fastest things out there right now is Solana. Bitcoin does about five track transactions per second and takes 30 to 60 minutes to achieve transaction finality. By contrast, Solana does 29,000 transactions per second and takes 2.5 seconds to achieve transaction finality. Bitcoin cannot handle the world's financial needs and thus it cannot be a winner. False and factually incorrect. So again, we talked about the trade-off. So Solana is really centralized, super centralized, and it's all VC backed. So to me, that is recreation of the current financial system. That aside, um, how Starbucks, McDonald's, and Pizza Hut in El Salvador handling all those Bitcoin payments, um, Dr. Dale? The answer is ding, 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 the Lightning Network. If you recall, I mentioned how Bitcoin scales in layers earlier in my dialogue. The Lightning Network is a payment network for Bitcoin. There's a great gentle intro into the Lightning Network that I will link in the show notes, but the Lightning Network allows for instant permissionless payments to be done on top of Bitcoin using Bitcoin that is locked into a second layer network. The high level is there are thousands and thousands of routing nodes or computers that hold Bitcoin on layer two lightning and allow for payments to be made between people, companies, or anyone. If I'm connected to Ryan, but not Mary, and Mary's connected to Ryan, I can pay Mary or she can pay me through Ryan. And you can see as that spider web grows, it's like the seven degrees of you know Kevin Bacon River, right? Everyone's connected. The world is interconnected. You can pay people around the world. And that to me is amazing. Lightning allows for Bitcoin, again, 21 million hard cap. So you're not creating more Bitcoin. It's not doing anything different. What you're doing is you're basically pledging those Bitcoin that you have instead of spending them, say, hey, I'm going to use it in this network. They collect nominal routing fees. So there is an incentive. And I think those will continue to grow and change and evolve over time. That's locked into a dual contract where either party can terminate and remove those funds if someone's you know, doing something bad or they just want to leave the network or take their money offline and maybe put it in cold storage. That's fine. You can do that. So it is still trustless where you don't have to trust the other person to be a you know, good actor because it is locked in what they call a multi-signature um, arrangement on Lightning. The technology is incredible. And if you and I were on a Zoom call, I would tell you, hey, download this app and I could send you a dollar um, for less than a penny in under three minutes, including downloading the wallet. It would be three minutes from the time I started. And you can send value anywhere in the world, anytime without a middleman. Also, talking about growth, um, talking about being old tech, right? Lightning is growing at about 4% per week. 4% per week. Insane growth in the Lightning Network. That's 200% annualized. There's 18,000 nodes in the network. There's about $195 million worth of value um, on the Lightning Network today for routing. So Lightning Network payments can be done in milliseconds. Um, they can take up to a minute, right? But... It takes work to dig in the details. I know it's hard. Again, like I said, it's harder to refute BS than to write it. So the whole idea of saying that it takes 30 to 60 minutes and it cannot handle the world's financial needs for paying for coffee. I don't need to have all the, um, the, the bells and whistles and the security of everything because you do sacrifice a little security going into the Lightning Network. And again, this is not to get technical, but if I'm wiring money to close on a house, the Bitcoin network is extremely fast. Let's measure the wiring times. I tried to close in a house in July. I wired money at 9 a.m. It did not get there by 6 p.m. Again, if I look at the Bitcoin network, I can get it done in 60 minutes. That's pretty damn fast. So that's what we need to start comparing things to. It's not comparing apples to apples. And I just think, again, it's intellectually dishonest to make the claims that are made because he doesn't talk about lightning at all. And again, he's probably does has no idea what lightning is. 
The world's payment rails will run on Lightning. And think of it how you would like your Starbucks app on your phone. The money is there. It's scanned. The transaction is complete. That's Lightning. That's what's going to happen. You're not even going to know all this stuff happening in the background. You don't need to know it. Just like you don't know how your cell phone works or your Wi-Fi router works today. You know it works. You plug it in. You read the directions. It's going to be the same thing in the future with Lightning. Finally, we will end on the hilarious diatribe of misunderstanding that is this last statement. But what is incredibly obvious to me is the winner will not be Bitcoin. That means those currently on the Bitcoin train, which is the vast majority of the cryptocurrency speculators, are either uneducated, FOMOites, or are planning to get off the roller coaster before it reaches the top and starts plummeting to its final doom. They're essentially investing on the greater fool theory, the idea that someone dumber than them will be around to pay them more for it than when they paid themselves. Well, that will work until it doesn't. Good luck timing it. Don't be left holding the bag. Laugh out loud. What a absolute clueless person uh, the white coat investor is about Bitcoin. This is laughable. This is lazy. It is just downright hilarious that he has no idea what money is. For a guy that obsesses and writes so much about money, clueless, has no idea what money is. Bitcoin is better money and the marketplace for sound digital permissionless money is massive. Right now, if you just took all the negative yielding bonds in the world, Bitcoin's worth $600,000 of Bitcoin. So like he just doesn't grasp what's going on. He has no idea what money is. And I've gone on record to say Bitcoin adoption is a story that's just a decade, which is why I seem like the crazy person for talking about it so much on a veterinary specific podcast, right? Um, I do believe we'll see seven-figure Bitcoin by the next 10 years. So say 2031, I think we'll see, you know, at least a million or greater Bitcoin. I will go on the record of saying that. Hold me to it. Send me hate mail in 2031 if I'm wrong, right? Today, it's 55,000, give or take. The truth is we'll see higher and higher inflation and most people will be struggling to make ends meet. This whole thing that we've seen this last year, it's not going to stop in 2022. It's not going to stop in 2023. This is, we're on a, we're on a, train with tracks that are leading to a place that's not great, right? And that's the easiest way to explain it. I'm not talking about lower income. I'm talking about everyone listening to this. It's going to be hard. Bitcoin is an escape valve that can allow all of us to preserve and protect our hard work so that we can live the life that we want, send our kids to school, take trips, buy the car or house. By saving into Bitcoin, you can transition from the dollar to Bitcoin. And that's what I hope happens. It's not the greater fool theory. You're not going to sell your Bitcoin back to dollars once you understand what Bitcoin is. You might be spending them. You might transition back to dollars if you're saving a lot into Bitcoin. You're like, hey, I need U.S. dollars because that's what you know my mortgage company needs. They're not taking Bitcoin, but there are actually mortgage companies starting to take Bitcoin. Like This is going to happen. You're going to see this start to pick up. As I said, the network effects next 12 to 18 months are going to be wild. You're going to see a lot more people starting to ask, demand, be paid in Bitcoin, options to pay in Bitcoin that's when it switches because again money is a social construct and once you lose trust in another money and there's a better money there uh, that's where people are going to gravitate towards if we start saving and earning in bitcoin we can transition again from bitcoin to the dollar and i hope that's what happens because it shouldn't be a hard fast like oh the dollar fails and all of a sudden bitcoin's this thing and only a handful of people are super wealthy that's not what i want what i want is the ability for us to use money that is just an improvement on what we've already used and so the goal is to hold better money over time and allow the four stages of money adoption to play out. Collectible, store of value, medium of exchange, unit of account. Dr. Dahl has failed everyone who trusts his content with his terrible take. I offered to allow him to place a bet um, that the money would go to charity. If he wanted to own the top 10 altcoins of his choosing versus Bitcoin, he declined. I asked him to connect and discuss the article. He declined. Everyone deserves quality information. And then you make up your mind. If you think I'm nuts, that's completely fine. If you don't want to own Bitcoin, that is on you. It's just intellectually dishonest to 
produce content when there's a lot of people that trust what you do and then completely not be educated on the topic. Like just don't write anything at that point. It's okay to not have an opinion. And that's where I have a big issue with what was done. And so it's still early, as you can tell from, you know, the White Coat Investors article, a lot of people haven't done their homework. They have no idea what's going on. Unfortunately, you have a lot of time to take action. You are not late. This is still super early. As always, feel free to reach out. Let me know. Isaiah at the Veterinary Success Podcast.com or Isaiah at Vincere Wealth. Reach out, connect if you have questions. I view this, again, as the story of the decade. I want to make sure you understand it, that you're educated on it. Um, and if you have questions, do not be shy asking them because again, this is a topic I'm obviously passionate about and you deserve better information. And so that's really what I was trying to get across today is you can read these articles and if you don't know enough, you can say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, you know, I, that, that's a true statement. Well, sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's misleading and sometimes it's just downright incorrect because they don't know what else is going on out there. So till next time, I hope this was helpful. Uh, I hope it was enjoyable and um, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.